Welcome to the Fresh Fiction Podcast. My name is Gwen Reyes. And I'm Danielle Jackson-Dresser. This is a podcast where we talk about what we're reading, watching, and listening to. We're taking a look at some of our favorite second chance romances in pop culture. Then we have a wonderful interview with historical romance author Diana Biller, all about her highly anticipated new book, The Brightest Star in Paris. We also go over our goals from last episode, set new ones, and share what's been bringing us comfort lately. Hooray! All right, Danielle, let's get started. Yes, please. (laughs) So how are you feeling this week? Good. I had a busy week because it's kind of a saga. So Mm -hmm. my daughter, whenever the seasons start to change, she gets like a cold that kind of morphs into a sinus infection. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be like the responsible parent and not send my child to school in the middle of a pandemic with a cold. Absolutely. (laughs) But when I left the message, I said she had a cough and Uh they're like, oh, if you have a cough. And I was like, well, I said it was a phlegmy cough. And the nurse was like, no, you said a cough. That's a COVID symptom. You have to get her tested in order to come back. So we had to do it. It really wasn't that bad because I, I, you know, the tests aren't as invasive as mm-hmm. they were, you know, so, and she, you know, I, I like walked her through what was going to happen and they let me swab her nose and it worked out because she did have to stay home kind of while we waited for test results and she was able to just stay home and like rest and not really do anything, which was pretty great. Um, and she's all better. And obviously, I mean, I'm not like crying and having a crisis. She's negative. We're all, then yep. we did just like at home rapid tests just to be, you know, just be like, okay, so we're not just sitting here waiting. So we all took them and they were all or not detected. That is the term. It's not negative. It's not, not detected. detected. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, so that was how my week started, but now my week, my week has gone much better. Cause like I was able to see some friends this weekend and we've just, we've had, I've been like, trying to see people before it gets super cold because I feel like we can't have windows open and, you know, or be outside or whatever. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot this winter. Um, so yeah, but yeah, I'm feeling good. How about you? Good too. My mom is visiting. So we've been having like a lot of fun taking her around to some of our favorite places. And yesterday we drove, um, we took a ferry ride. I felt very Meredith, uh, yeah gray and mm-hmm. very it was like very gray's anatomy for me I was like oh, I'm taking <laughs> the ferry I feel like Derek it's very exciting um but we went to we went from Edmonds to Kingston and like drove around nice. um and it was just really it was such a beautiful day like today's gonna be really rainy and gross so we're just gonna stay inside and nice. maybe go to a tea yeah. shop but uh yeah it's just been really nice having my mom here and I just really love that people are starting to come visit a little bit I'm, I know it's terrifying to do that for a lot of people but yeah. um it's nice because I can kind of show off parts of town that I am enjoying. It's been nice to have her here. So I kind of talked about this a tiny bit, but I got to see some friends this week, but I'm going to like kind of make it into a bigger thing because I feel like I have made grown up friends. Ooh, I know like friends that I've met with it really within the last couple of years, like through meeting them through the bookstore through love sweet uh-huh. arrow and doing the book clubs there. And yeah, we all hung out in our friend Kate's backyard. Cause she has like a projector in her backyard and like a little fire pit table. And yeah, it was really, really fun. And we just had, it was like, so nice just sit around and like talk to people. We watched 10 things I hate about you. Love it. And you know, we'd all, well, I think 
all of us except one person hadn't seen it, but, you know, but, but knew it well enough. And, mm-hmm. and we were like, oh, wait, here's a part you, we need to be quiet during, like, you need yeah. to, you need to watch the scene. So you see the connection happen yep. and yeah. And it was really, it was really fun. So that's fun. That, that was really I great. Love I, feel, that. Yeah. I, uh, I'm really excited to dig into this topic with you because when I threw it out on Friday, it was a, we had a different topic for today's episode yeah. for disclosure. <laughs> and both of us were like, this is really, really a lot harder than we thought. So let's do <laughs> Second chance romance, which then turned into, oh no, this is a lot harder than I thought also. <laughs> it was harder, especially outside of books. Yes. And like, is this really a second chance romance or is it just two people that have spent long enough trying to figure out if they want to date, you know, like, yeah. cause there is a difference, I think. Yeah. And I um, want to talk about that. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, so, so I, for me, when I was thinking about it, second chance, it had to be like, they had a relationship or at least some kind of intense connection. Mm-hmm. Then there was like a hard break, whether they called a breakup or not, but there was a hard break. And then sometime in the future, they get back together and make yep. it work. Okay. Yeah. Because some of it was like, well, did they date or did they just kiss one time? And then that was it, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it is. And I mean, it's such a popular trope in romance in particular, I think. Um, and it's really, I think it's interesting. Like, you know, I'm going to talk about Reese Ryan later, but on her episode that we had on earlier this year, when she, we interviewed her, she kind of made this really good point that like with a second chance romance, it's like the reader goes in with the idea that there are already these feelings there, whether they're good feelings or bad feelings, there's already this kind of emotional connection. Right. And I think that that, that is really an important part about second chance romance. Cause usually the people have to come to grips with what has happened, whatever right. it was that happened, whether, you know, their parents moved them across the country or, they did break up for whatever reason they have to figure that out. And then, but I think my favorite part about second chance romance is when they figure out that they, they still have feelings for this person, but it's like, they, they fall in love with them again because it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, you're a new person. You're yeah. different than how you were the first time. And I still love you. In fact, I love you more. You know, yeah. I think that that that's like my favorite little part of a second chance romance. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really love that too. Like the, it's one of those genres that has really like become like my, one of my favorites mm-hmm. of my heart over years, because I always loved the chaotic energy of like an enemies to lovers or a love yeah. triangle, but there's just so, something so comforting and wholesome about these people who have to like have the maturity and comfort to like confront their past, make amends and build a life together. Like it hits on exactly what you say. Cause they, they do at the end, they fall in love with this whole new person and they're Mm -hmm. able to see that like the hurt that they had in the past was either superficial or Mm -hmm. they're able to move past it and build this like amazing relationship. And it's, Oh, it always feels like a little bit realer to me too, because you have to kind of approach it in a way that feels just so adult hmm. I think, yeah. And, and I like that you said maturity because I think often, especially in romance, because I feel, you know, not every romance, but a lot of romances deal with people who are 
like in their 20, like in their mid to late twenties or in their early thirties. So the relationship that they are having the second chance with is usually like a height, like their big high school love or their first college crush or boyfriend or girlfriend. And, and you do, you do grow, you grow, you grow so much in your Mm -hmm. twenties. I think just as a person and you're really figuring out who you are and, and you do, you change. Like, I even think sometimes I'm just like, wow, like I was so, I feel like I'm so different than what I was in like my early twenties, like when yeah. I met my husband and I was like, I mean, I'm glad like we still like each other yeah. <laughs> because we are, so, we're very different people, Yeah. Um. but we, we are the same age. So I think we kind of have like that similar trajectory. So I think, yeah. you know, we, we both are aware of that, but I mean, really, I'm just like, yeah, like a lot is different. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like if we met now, would we yeah. even talk to each other? I don't even know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. That's weird to think about. I know. <laughs> but it also like brings up this other part that I think is really kind of another deep nugget inside of a second chance, which is like the idea of lost time. So like mm-hmm. everyone involved with these relationships almost has like a sense of immediacy that they want to not mm-hmm. miss another minute with each other. So like yeah. when they do get together, it's like, oh, like it's so solid mm-hmm. because they don't want to have another minute away from each other. Yeah, that in fact, that's like one. This is, I think, kind of pertains to romance, specifically the romance books. Um, because you know, a lot of times people will talk about how unrealistic is that you meet someone and then like three weeks later, you're like, Oh, I love you so much. Like, we're mm-hmm. gonna spend the rest of our lives together. But second chance romance, you can get away with that. Yeah, like, it could even be like a weekend, you know, Absolutely. where people are, you know, for whatever, you know, for romance reasons, they are stranded together for like a whole weekend. And it's like, okay, let's hash this out and yep. figure it out. And it makes, at the end, it actually does make sense. And you don't have to like suspend anything. You can just be like, yeah, well, yeah, these people have this past mm-hmm. and now they're together. They figured it out. Like, yeah. it's great. It's great. Yeah. I love it. I love it. <laughs> It's just always like, oh, so heartwarming and great. Well, let's dig into some of our favorites because like we said, it this was a little bit more challenging to come mm-hmm. up with. Like, I think second chance as a concept is so cool and wonderful. But then you're like, oh, well, now I got to get some concrete examples yeah. of that. And that's a little bit hard. So I, I started with movies. Um, and I know I've mentioned Always Be My Maybe with mm-hmm. uh, so Randall good. Park and um, uh, Ali Wong. But I yeah. love that movie. And I thought that, that it, even though I think that it, just barely touches second chance because I think that they just were they danced around each other too much in high school and had Mm -hmm. like one kiss and then it just never really worked out but I think that because that little missed opportunity was such a foundational moment in that film and like moving on it kind of like lets that spark sort of happen Mm -hmm. and they can to your point of like um, having to be able to hash it out quickly. They're able yeah. to hash it out quickly. And then, you know, Keanu right. Reeves shows up, which is great. Um, so and then <laughs> for a, a classic one, I thought the Philadelphia story with yeah. uh, Catherine Hepburn and uh, Cary Grant, one of my favorites. So they good. were so good. Yeah. And just like, it's a movie that just brings such joy and it's so it's family friendly, which is great mm-hmm. too about it. Um, but then on the other side of that, second chance romances can also be very tragic and heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a 2011 version of Withering Heights that Andrea Arnold, who later went on to do the first season of or the second season of Big Little Lies, she directed mm-hmm. that season. Uh, she directed this film, this version of it. And it's really just the first part of Withering Heights, but you've yeah. got the back and forth pulling of um, Heathcliff and Catherine, who I think are an ultimate tragic 
uh, second chance romance. But also like so toxic. It was like, what are you two doing? (laughs) Yeah. They're only, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, they're almost only good together or dead, which is what happens. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um and then for tv uh, i went with i just kind of went my favorite character my favorite couples i had ross and rachel from friends Mm -hmm. you know iconic second chance on that one uh controversial pick of lorelei and christopher from from gilmore girls you know if they had worked out i think Mm -hmm. that that would be a perfect example of a second chance romance since he is rory's dad and then um more recent would be Eleanor and Chidi from The Good Place. Oh, yeah, yeah, because they had many a second chance. I know so many they didn't they didn't even know about. No. <laughs> um, for books, I went with my OG fave, which is Persuasion. I think that yeah. for me, it's like I can't think of a second chance that is more beautiful and more rewarding than yeah. Anne and Wentworth. So I, I just I love it. It's like the foundational text. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. what started it all, probably. Yep. And then for just a little fun pop culture, uh, second chance, I've got Ben and Jen 3.0, mm-hmm. the reunion of Ben Affleck and Jennifer oh Lopez. I mean, ultimate second chance romance. It's just, we get to see it every day. And they look amazing. Amazing. Just absolutely gorgeous. Like, yep. what is happening? What is <laughs> even going on? You know? <laughs> So it's like, you can't, if you can't get it in your books, can't get it in your TV, you can at least get it on the tabloid covers at the grocery store. Totally. Or on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah. I think first one that came to mind was Sweet Home Alabama. Um, with of course Reese Witherspoon and that guy's name, I can never remember. Josh Lucas. <laughs> yes. Josh mm-hmm. Lucas. Cause he has yeah. such a normal name. He has such a um, normal name, <laughs> but also like what I really like about Sweet Home Alabama and, and it's not just the second chance. Like, I also like that Patrick Dempsey's character isn't terrible. Yeah. Like he's actually a really good guy. And, mm-hmm. and he sees that he sees like, no, like I may be in love with you and I think you're awesome, but obviously like you need to be Reese Witherspoon needs to be with Josh Lucas. Yeah. And I really liked that because up until that point, like there would have just been this like third act problem where it would have been like, oh, well, he's been cheating on her this whole time. Right. Or he's only marrying her because it's a business thing or whatever, you know, and and he was like just like a nice person. So mm-hmm. that's really cool. Um, and then I put love in basketball. And I, cause whenever I can talk about love and basketball, I will. It's one of my favorite movies <laughs> of all time, but they do, you know, they, they know each other in high school. Like they've known each other since they were kids. And then in high school, they like things change and they like, and they're both going to USC to play basketball. And, but then they end up breaking up and it's like all oh, this. And then years later, it's a whole thing. Like if you yeah. have not seen love and like, I feel like love and basketball, it shows up on lists and stuff all the time, but it honestly is an underrated movie. It really like, is an more underrated. people need to see it. It's yes. so good. And it's like, I always tell people too. I'm like, if, even if you don't like basketball, it doesn't matter. It's doesn't just matter. a good movie. Yep. Um, so there's that. And then in this one, in uh, this actually kind of reminds me of Eleanor and Chidi, but I put eternal sunshine of the spotless mind because mm-hmm. they want to forget each other. They break up. They want to forget each other. There's, you know, this fake technology where you can delete the memories of someone in your life. And, 
And then they end up meeting again and deciding that they like each other. And then they, you know, obviously discover that they both have tried to forget each other. And I just, I really loved how that movie unfolded because it was told and like, it wasn't linear. Yeah. So when you do finally realize what's going on, you're like, oh, wait a second. (laughs) Um, And that's, you know, it's one of those rare Jim Carrey, like serious Jim Carrey and not rare. He's been doing it. He, you know, he's been doing it his whole career. But I mean, I think a lot of people like kind of took notice again of him, like not just being silly, but he was doing something even different from something like the Truman Show. Yeah. Um, So I really, and obviously Kate Winslet, I'm, I'm always astounded she didn't win something for that movie. I know. Because she was so great. She was so good in that movie. Yeah. And then. Also, I want to put kind of from that, from that same time was high fidelity mm-hmm. where this guy gets broken up with and he goes like through his like last few exes and like asks them why they broke up. And it, it's pretty disastrous, um, but <laughs> it's really, it's really fun. And then he ends up the, with one of the girlfriends, he does reconnect and, and they end up together. It's also set in Chicago in like an actual record store. Like he owns this record store and it's mm-hmm. really like. We used to like where my husband lived when we were dating. We would like rock, walk by it every day. It was great. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So for TV, this is a very Patrick Dempsey heavy episode. I know. I was like, wow. <laughs> I want to give a shout out to, to Meredith on mm-hmm. Grey's Anatomy because I mean, how many times in those first few seasons, it was like they were together. They broke up. He's married. Now he's not. What's going on? But then I was thinking almost every major romance on Grey's Anatomy, at some point the couples break up and then get back together. And, yeah, yeah. and it's usually like with good reason, like, but then I don't know the last couple of seasons when people have left, like they're leaving the show and then they're like, Oh yeah. And I'm going to go to this place where that person that left, you know, three seasons ago, they live now and it's going to work out. Like, I was like, no, it's but- not. I think that's just my bigger, my, my like Grey's Anatomy. Fatigue. Well, and that's an interesting thing too. Cause it's almost like does Shonda and the people who are a part of Shonda land only mm-hmm. like second chance romance? Is it like the only way to build a foundational character within their worlds? Like, Hmm, I'm going to think about that yeah. for a little bit. Well, and then too, this is, this is definitely a digression because I think you know, it was recently announced that Kate Walsh is going back and it's yes. like, well, why Derek is dead. I mean, spoiler, if you haven't, no, <laughs> if you don't know, he's been dead for like, like I don't know, four seasons, four seasons point? or so. Yeah, I feel like, and it's like, long what time. is she going to do? <laughs> I mean, <I'm- laughs> I don't even know. No, no. Yeah. Um, and didn't, and didn't Addison get married to somebody at the end of private practice like uh, yeah didn't she yeah yeah. she married Benjamin Bratt yeah (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised I did I I watched private practice but like I watched it like streaming because I was just like I need something to watch Mm -hmm. and it was not great um no (laughs) but yeah I mean I think so but I think like you know they brought back like Jackson in April like April Mm -hmm. came back and like you know yeah. Like I just feel, so I wonder though, if that's kind of a nostalgia thing, like, yeah. cause I feel like a lot of shows people are coming, like people are coming back like on SVU and, you know, just like, I don't know. So that's interesting. Yeah. And then it, it ends up being 
a second chance because it's like, oh, well, your love interest is still here. So we may as well just make this happen again. And then one I also want to talk about, I want to talk about, I guess I can talk about the new girl as a whole because Jess and Nick, obviously, you know, they got together, but then they ended up breaking up. And then, you know, by the end, they do end up together. But then also I was thinking Cece and Schmidt do the kind of the same thing. They're per. I think they were such a good example. They were really good. Yeah. Yeah. Because they have like, because they have the combination of will they, won't they. But Mm -hmm. then they do like have these really great like second chance op- and then both of them mature in a way mm-hmm. that I don't think Jess and Nick do like I think yeah. Jess and Nick become more vulnerable and open with each other but like Schmidt and Cece's characters change so much yes. being in relationships with each other that's a really really good point yeah yeah like Cece and Schmidt's storyline is more like a second chance romance mm-hmm. that's really interesting I like that okay I'm gonna think about that more <laughs> Yeah, I know. I was like, huh, <laughs> yeah, reevaluating all our favorite shows today. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, so then I do have a bunch of books because, like I said, second chance romance is such a big part of the romance genre. Um, so I already mentioned Reese Witherspoon. I'm going to jump down. She's like at the bottom of my like how I set up my list. But I want to say, you know, she was on the podcast and tw- she even said 2020 was her year of the second chance romance. Um, which she said she also did not do on purpose. It just kind of worked out that way, but she had second chance on Cypress lane, like it's literally in the title, um, secret air seduction and a reunion of rivals. And they all really, they really have these great second chance romances. I mean, in all of them, you know, there are reasons why these people broke up and then they all have to, there's usually at least one of them is going back to their hometown mm-hmm. or returning from wherever they were. And then through you know, a series of events, they have to interact and, and it, and it, you know, culminates in a really nice love story. Um, always so sweet. I know. So my, my next pick is queen move by Kennedy Ryan, Kennedy Ryan in this book did something that was so interesting where she literally follows these characters from when they are like children mm-hmm. and, like even before they like know what to like what a relationship is like they are very young and then and you so you see them growing up and then you see them in like like I think like early high school maybe late middle school where they're like okay like we are actually dating mm-hmm. and there we start you know we figure that out and then and it's like it follows them for like 20 years it's amazing that sounds and, so cool yeah. I mean, if you have not read Kennedy Ryan, I mean, she's super, her books are very angsty, very emotional. Um, there's usually like a kind of a political justice angle in all of her books that are really, really great and poignantly. She just does it really well. So I highly recommend Queen Move. Um, my next one is Once Ghosted, Twice Shy by Alyssa Cole. It's a novella in her Reluctant Royal series. And it's like, the assistant to one the prince in her first in the first book in that series mm-hmm. she's in new york while he's trying to convince this long lost princess that she's actually a princess and they're betrothed <laughs> um but while she's there with him she kind of has this like relationship with this woman who she meets on the subway and she's back in new you know so this happens and then a few years later he she goes so the her girlfriend ghosts her Um, Mm -hmm. and she doesn't really know why. And so a few years later, she's back in New York, like on an assignment for the Royal family. 
and she randomly sees her on the subway again. And it's like, and it's told really for a novella, it's actually quite complex, but it doesn't feel that way. But she, it's like told in alternating points of view as well as alternating timelines. So you get to see that first love story happen. And then the second chance that happens, Mm -hmm. it's really great. Um, it's also, um, female, female, which is really cool. Yeah. And yeah, it's really wonderful. And then one week to claim it all by Adriana Herrera. This is Adriana's first Harlequin desire. So first in like a new series, I can't, I think it's a three book series. And the second one, I believe comes out next month. So in this one, it's about a woman whose father, you know, she was the daughter of her father and his mistress. And She's known this her whole life. Her, his new wife or his wife kind of knew about it going, also knew about her <clears throat> and her father passes away and leaves part of the, his like entertainment business to her cool. in with his other two siblings. And it's something that she is, she's like a writer, she's a screenwriter. So she is interested in it and they have to kind she has to navigate this, but she did, she had a relationship with a guy that she knew he was like working for her father. He was kind of, he kind of, he grows into being like his like right-hand man. And he's actually interested in kind of taking over the company too, because the other siblings are kind of like, you know, they don't really care that much. Um, So they have to figure out how to work together. They have, they're like putting together presentations so that, you know, they can, you know, present them to the board. So to figure out who's going to actually take over Um, it was really, really great. I mean, you know, like typical harlequin desire it's very like soapy and like Mm -hmm. high drama definitely sexy and just a lot of fun it's really cool and it's and what's great too is that adriana herrera almost always writes about latinx um characters so you know it's really great to like see it's like a i think it's almost kind of like a telemundo like esque kind of yeah it sounds that way yeah Mm -hmm. and yeah and it's so and so and it's like very very dramatic it's really yeah it's really good so i i really highly i mean i love everything adriana does so all right so hopefully we've given all of you enough to swoon over we are going to take a break and then we'll be back for our interview with diana biller Diana, welcome to the Fresh Fiction Podcast. Thanks for chatting with us today. Let's get started right off the bat by talking a little bit about the worlds you've created in your books, The Widow of Rose House and the forthcoming The Brightest Star in Paris. In these books, ghosts exist. And we want to know, you know, big, bold questions right off the bat. Do you believe in ghosts? Oh, no. Why are you catching me out like this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know what? This is the answer no one likes because I actually don't. Ooh, <laughs> hot take. I like I it. That. So then what brings you, what makes you interested in ghosts? So I think that ghosts are such a wonderful metaphor. I, I love working with them because to a certain extent, like we all have ghosts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, ghosts are of course real in terms of our lives. Um, we have memories, we have people, we have experiences uh, mm-hmm. that still of course haunt us. I find the ghost story such a like such a wonderful juicy genre or subgenre I don't know what you would call that yeah um to explore that with um but I know I'm asking for it like I know I know <laughs> um, I know that someday I'm gonna get really haunted and it's just gonna be like my own fault um, uh-huh. for going like no I don't believe in them and I write ghost stories come on um, <laughs> and the ghost is like oh wait just one yeah. second <laughs> 
I know. (laughs) (laughs) So like until that happens, no, I don't believe in them, but like I'm awaiting being wrong. You know what? That's fair. I actually, I used to always say for myself, like I didn't believe in, I'm also like incredibly obsessed with ghosts. Don't really believe in them but am cannot stop thinking about them. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like there's always like a creepy feeling and I'm like, clearly it's haunted, yeah. but also ghosts aren't real. Like yes. that's always like my sense. <laughs> I don't think that there's any problem with holding both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel. I always feel like, you know, I'll have like one of those creepy feelings, but like, you know, 70% of the time it's my daughter who has somehow crept in this room and is just standing here. And I'm like, Oh my, okay. Hi. How did you get here? Where did you come from? Um, but then every so often, you know, I will like on a very rare occasion, I will be alone by myself in the house and you, you, you get that feeling. And so I'm definitely that person that's like, okay, I don't know if you're there, but if you are, please don't show yourself to me. Cause I'm not in the mental state I, to I deal with it. Right now. <laughs> so yeah, I think though, but I do think I was like, there is something kind of fun though, to think about, like, if I could be a ghost, like, I think I'd be a oh. really good ghost one day. Like I'm real good at people watching, just kind of loitering around. Like mm-hmm. I could do it. You, You're good you, at haunting in general. Yeah. Like, I think would, so. you, would you, would you mess with people or would you just like be friendly? I don't know. Maybe like, I don't think I'd want to be like mean, but you know, like, if, you know, if this is like the weird, like macabre thought I have, but I'm like, if I go before my husband, a hundred percent, I'm going to like, just be real annoying for a yeah, little 100%. while. I yeah. agree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I tell Cliff all the time I'm going to haunt him. Yeah. So you ready for it. Yeah, I think I'd be a really good vengeance ghost. Uh, but, you know, like I, I like to think that I would keep my morals, but you know, like there are people in the world who could, you know, use some corrective haunting. I like that. <laughs> the yeah. Dexter of ghosts over here. <laughs> <laughs> and That's I just like to be good. sneaky. So, and know everything. Ooh, so I also yeah. like, I would always say my superpower, if I could pick one would be invisibility. Cause I just mm-hmm. want to be everywhere. So yeah, yeah I think ghost, <laughs> ghosting would also work. I dig it. I feel like we have some interesting journeys in our future. (laughs) Diana, something that I love about your books, both in your debut, The Widow of Rose House, and now The Brightest Star in Paris, is that you have these women main characters, you know, kind of at the center of these books, but they, they both have this air of notoriety in society. Amelie is different than Alva. Oh, and I love that they're friends because the way that they're perceived in society, they are so different. But I mean, Amelie is this lauded saintly scion of goodness, whereas Alva, you know, no one could kind of figure out what was going on with her. Um, and they both can't stray away from those images. They, they kind of both, in a way, have to lean into them a bit. So what attracts you to writing about people with a perceived image that is different from who they actually are? Mm-hmm. That's such a good question. And I'm sure it's something that I should talk to my therapist about. Um, <laughs> We all wear masks. I certainly, I, I certainly do. Um, yeah. and it's something that I think about a lot and I resent it. Um, and I think most particularly Amelie, uh, the heroine mm-hmm. of The Brightest Star in Paris resents it. I think Alba mm-hmm. finds a certain freedom eventually in having lost her reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows her to do things that she wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Right. Um, and I think she says at one point, like, once you've lost a reputation, 
you discover that they weren't like much to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, but Amelie has so much resting on her reputation. Um, you know, just for context for people who haven't read the book yet, she's, um, you know, a really celebrated ballerina in Paris and she's very good, capital G, good. Um, and this goodness, uh, this perceived goodness is what allows her to um, protect her sister. It's what allows her to put food on the table, to afford a small apartment, um, to create a lot of security that she really didn't have when she was, well, during during the Franco-Prussian War, when she mm-hmm. lost her mother and was very much like, uh, well, it was really desperate. Um, so she's not going back there again. And if what she has to do is be good, um, and that's what she needs to do to protect her sister, then she's going to do it. But I think she intensely resents it. Yeah. Um, and I think it makes her so angry um, that she has to hide her feelings of grief mm-hmm. and her feelings of anger and all the ugly parts of herself. I think it makes her so angry that she has to hide all of them away. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I, I think I certainly can relate to, to that. And I think probably a lot of people can, like it's so many of us have our own pressures to be good. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. perhaps to not tell the truth in that goodness, to be good, mm-hmm. to, to lie for other people's benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think something that I've certainly been thinking through the pandemic, and this was a real interesting book to write through the pandemic. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, um is about that is about times when the truth is not nice mm-hmm. uh but it needs telling anyway and how it can be so much better for ourselves and for everybody to tell the truth um instead of to be sweet and nice right. um and always you know smiley and appropriate i really loved both alva and amelie for i think almost the same reason is that they kind of go on this journey not necessarily to figure out who they are, but really to own who they are and to kind of just embrace themselves completely. Did you find it harder to write Amelie or Alva or were they both challenging? (laughs) Book two was challenging. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think it was Amelie's fault. I think it was, uh, (laughs) I think it's that writing a follow-up was hard. Um, and I, I didn't, didn't quite know how to do it. It took me, Mm -hmm. um, it took me longer than it was Mm -hmm. supposed to. I found that, um, the hardest thing actually, I think was that Paris really tried to steal that book. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and a big part of like, uh, finding like the core of the book and working on it through edits and stuff was actually kind of telling Paris, okay, <laughs> like, that's enough now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you go sit over there and let me, let me do some character work with other people. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and what a perfect time to like, at that point in history, Paris is just so interesting and there's so much to go on or that's going on there. It's just, it was, it was wonderful. Yeah. One thing that was so interesting about writing that time in Paris is that I think we have this idea or certainly I did, of Paris. It's really romantic, Mm -hmm. old place. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was so interesting to me to find out that so much of what we think of as old Paris is actually extremely new Paris. It's gentrified Mm -hmm. Paris from the late 1800s. Um, Paris 
was like significantly redesigned and rebuilt. So those beautiful, luscious white apartment buildings, you know, with the wrought iron balconies, they're really new. Mm -hmm. um, and they replaced entire neighborhoods. Wow. Um, and that was, of course, really interesting to think about when you think about our cities today. Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. When, like really similar things are happening. Uh, you know, right. people are getting pushed out of their neighborhoods and, um, you know, new, much uglier apartment buildings are going up. <laughs> <Seriously>. Yeah. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> For wealthier people. Yeah. <laughs> so it was really interesting to see uh, like how, how similar it was. The traffic was a nightmare. They all, everyone complained about the traffic being terrible in Paris. Oh it was God. like, wow, just nothing changes. Nothing, nothing changes. changes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just add more people in there. Just add more people. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's such a great transition talking about the research that you did because Benedict is part of a family of geniuses. Um, they're all scientists and the type of people who are far too smart for their own good. Um, what sort of research did you do about science specifically during the Gilded Age? Um, and what was it, uh, what was a brain surgeon like Ben actually doing in that time period? <laughs> Get, I want to hear all the nasty, dirty details. I'm just going to show you. I know it won't show up on the podcast, but several books like this. Oh, uh, yep. Uh -huh. The origins uh -huh. of neuroscience. Oh, yes. Nice illustrated neuroscience 101 book. Um, so one like petty frustrating thing is that it wasn't called neuroscience. Yeah. Oh. I pretty mm -hmm. much have to call him a brain doctor. And in like a few years, he'd be a neuroscientist yeah. or a doctor, you know, or a, a neurosurgeon is what yeah. he would be. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not historically accurate. So I call him like a brain doctor, which guys does not sound <laughs> so <funny>. funny. <laughs> Um, oh, no, it was, it was so interesting because actually people have been doing neurosurgery for hundreds and hundreds of years. I'm going way, 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 way back mm -hmm. wow. in history. We've been doing things like, um, drilling holes in the skull to release some pressure. Fluid pressure. Yeah. Um, like we found archeological, um, sites wow. with, like, like done with like I think bone tools um like people were doing people have been doing cool shit for a long time yeah I love it <laughs> um so but of course like he's at this period Benedict is at this time when neurosurgery in a more modern sense is beginning mm -hmm. to be possible and um the way that eventually becomes possible um is by figuring out that different parts of the brain um, control different things. Mm -hmm. uh, so that idea that, I mean, it's almost like a phrenology idea, except phrenology went in dark directions, um, <laughs> like, yeah. like super racist directions and also wrong directions. <laughs> yeah. That the brain, you know, has different like, oh, I, I'm not a brain person, so I don't know, but pretend over here is the part that controls speech. You know, mm -hmm. um, if you are removing a tumor and you cut too far into the wrong section, you could cause bad things um, to happen. So that kind of exploration is really starting to happen. And that's what Benedict is really involved in is, um, you know, how can we make neurosurgery possible? Um, and the book kind of ends with like the very beginning of, mm -hmm. of brain surgery becoming um, 
beginning to resemble more like what we we know it as today. But yeah, the research was terrible. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I just I read an enormous amount of books on the history of neuroscience. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching documentaries, like late night documentaries on like history channel back when they actually did a little bit of history coverage and documentary stuff, um, before, you know, Bigfoot came into the picture. And that was one of the most interesting things was that the, the foot, not, they obviously didn't have footage. It was reenactments, but just sort of being able to bring to life the journals of the doctors that were doing modern day Mm -hmm. brain surgery. And it was Mm -hmm. just wild because yeah, they would show these old, um, skulls with the holes in their heads from Egyptian time. From so wild. long ago. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. wild. Yeah. Um, and it's so funny because of course, you know, a lot of our idea of science is that it's brand new. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, no one before they were all primitive. They had no idea. Um, and uh, just obviously that's not true. Right. <laughs> <laughs> is so amazing about Diana is how smart she is. She yeah. was just so eloquent and beautiful. And I um, just cannot wait for people yeah. to read The Brightest Star in Paris. Like it's just, it was so much so such a fun. fun conversation. And she had the best glasses. She did have really great glasses. They were really good. It's a new week, yeah. new episode, new things to be looking forward to this week. Uh, how were you on your uh, goal from last episode? My goal from last week was or last time because I think it's been two weeks um was to read before bed instead of just scrolling on my phone I will say I'm better I'm probably Mm -hmm. not I'm still scrolling I don't know I don't know if I you know it's like one of those things where I'm just like well maybe this is how I unwind now but also I know I need to not be on a screen so I have been reading um I've been reading because I finished, I finally finished Emma. Like remember my Jane Austen summer yep. reading goal, which is now, I guess, just the year goal. 2021 um, goal. Yeah. At this point, it'll probably be into 2022 at this, <laughs> at the rate I'm going, but I did finish reading Emma and I started Sense and Sensibility and about halfway through. And then I've also been reading the Neapolitan books by Elena Ferrante, because I forgot I had taken them from my mom, like literally <laughs> when the pandemic started, because I had read the first one and like, liked it wasn't like enthused, but for some reason, well, I know I started reading it because of the show, which mm-hmm. was gorgeous. So I was like, okay, now that I've watched season one, I do want to read them. Cause I think I have a better sense of what's happening. And I really liked it. And that's why I had read books. I read books one and two really quickly, like in early, you know, in like March and April of 2020. And then I kind of, I just didn't start the third one. I think as my mom said, she didn't really like the third book. So I was Mm. like, oh, well, she doesn't like it. I don't know if I'm going to like it, but I actually am really enjoying it. So I've been reading that as well. And the nice thing about this book in particular is this, there's the chapters are really short. I love it. Like, it's kind of like just these little snippets that are very, like, you have to really read them. So, I mean, Elena Fronte and her translator, I don't, I was like looking around, I don't have the book in front of me, so I can't give like a direct shout out to the translator, but they did a really, it's really beautiful. And it's nice to read before bed because mm-hmm. it's just, like, it's kind of lyrical, but also easy to understand. Like, yeah. yeah. So I have been reading before bed, but I also am scrolling. <laughs> I think that that's such a good little tip though, that you pulled out of that, which is like, 
maybe a good way. And if any of our listeners are mm-hmm. also dealing with the same sort of struggle is like finding a book that does have shorter chapters or yeah. something that they don't, you know, you're not going to be missing out. So when you fall asleep within mm-hmm. a minute or two, it's yeah. okay. I yeah. think that that's like an excellent, an excellent sort of thing. That is to a look really for. good. All right. What about you? What so, about yeah, for me, it was uh, reconnecting with friends through cards or little gifts. Um, I was successful at sending little gifts to two people. So I was mm-hmm. thought that that was successful. Um, I'm going to keep this one going because it's making me feel really good. And just yeah. little things that can help uh, bring joy to myself and to other people is just always a nice way to live a life. I have to say I received a little gift. But I'm I'm not going to talk about it. I will no. I will talk about it. Yep, it'll be for the future, even yes. more future than right now. Yeah, and it's really wonderful, and it really made my day, and <laughs> it was so fun, and I I love you for it. Thank you. You're <laughs> made me so happy to make that for you. So I'm happy yeah. about that too. It was good. <laughs> yeah. So that makes us move into our new goals. Um. Yeah. So my new goal for this week is food based because I'm hungry, and I'm just thinking because it's we're recording on Sunday right now, which is usually my mood, my mood prepping, my meal prepping day. Yeah. So, um, today I, or this week, I need to make fresh stocks mm. for the week. Um, I'm, uh, it's getting colder. It's soup season. Yeah. I need to have stock on hand and I have a chicken in my fridge. So I'm going to make some stock. Awesome. Yeah. That I love. Okay. My <laughs> goal this week is very exciting. Um, because I have received my copy edits for the accidental pinup. So I, I want to finish. I mean, of course I'm ahead of deadline, but I would like (laughs) to finish before my actual deadline. Like I don't want to be sending it on the day it's due. So I am, I mean, I'm, I'm like halfway through my copy editor was amazing. It's really cool. You get this thing called a style sheet and, and it has like kind of like words that are like colloquial, like that don't technically make sense. Like, but they'll kind of go in and do that, but they also will go through like every person you mention, like is on a list. And then they also put like, they, they like make your, a timeline of your book, which like, I was like, no, I, I know the timeline of my book, but then I read it. Like I was going through it and I was like, I don't, I don't know wow. how time works. It was very interesting. And I, I have a friend who is a copy. She's like a freelance copy editor. And I was just like, I feel like I had so many like major timeline errors. <laughs> like, you know, like at one point the copy editor was like, do you, you know, you said a few days, but she's like, I think you mean a week. <laughs> like, you know, like this, this lines up better. <laughs> you just say a week. Yeah. And so um, that's so cool. And so I, yeah. I was telling this to my, my friend who's a copy editor and she was like, she's like, no, that's literally what we do. Like, do not feel, she's like everyone, every author does it. It, but then what the other thing that I'm like still hung up on, and this is not like, I'm not like insulting anyone, but it's like, I read it 900 times. Mm-hmm. My agent read it, you know, at least a few times. My editors read it a few times. Like, how did none of us catch on to that this does not line up? And no. I think, you know, it's just like when you're so close to something mm-hmm. and yet so far, actually, it feels like, but yeah, so that's been really, so my goal is to finish it. I'm going to finish it. I'm kind of cheating. I know I'm going to get it done, but that's my goal to get it done because yeah. then the next step, I mean, the next step is like, it gets formatted for 
review copies and I, I do get to, and then I look at those and it's literally like last chance, anything that's left, like mm-hmm. you need to, that's when you make it. So yeah, it's, it's all happening. It's all real and happening. <laughs> I know. But yeah. It's very fun. I love it. That's so cool. I do. I do appreciate that. You are like, I will not be turning this in on my deadline. It will be before the deadline. Because- will be. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your face. I wish no, everybody I'm, could see. I wish everybody I'm, could see Danielle's like <laughs> face. It's like very resolute. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I want to be done. Happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. I mean, I live in a family like being on time is late. You know, right. like yeah. we always were early. We're always, I, we turn things in ahead of time. Like it's just, it's what we do. So yeah, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> we always had standard Reyes time, which was either 20 minutes early for me. Cause I like to be early or 20 minutes late for everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Some inconsistency on that one. All right. Well, um, I think it's time for us to talk about what's bringing us comfort as we get ready to wrap yes. up our episode. So sad. Um, so this week, uh, I know it's the start of fall or mm-hmm. th- this episode will be out. Fall will have been going. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is the beginning of fall is this week. We both live in places that actually have a fall. Mm-hmm. So comfort is definitely on the, on our, our minds. Um, what's bringing you comfort this week, Danielle? So I just got a new pair of shoes and they're the Rothy's driver loafer. They're like, nice. they're kind of their take on like an old school driving loafer. Like they look kind of like penny loafers. I got them in the cognac color, which is not as brown as one may think. It's actually more of like a golden yellow. They're so comfortable. They're so great. I'm obsessed with them. And yeah, I'm, I'm trying, you know, it's like when you got new shoes and you really love them and then you just want to wear them all the time. Yeah. I'm really trying not to do that. Cause I would like them to say, I mean, I know you can like wash Rothy's, but I don't know. I just yeah. don't like to wash them a ton. Yep. So, but yeah, I'm really obsessed with them and they make me very happy. <laughs> I love that so much. I'm sitting, I'm the, our listeners can't don't know, but I'm sitting in my closet currently and, uh, <laughs> I'm staring at my one pair of orange Rothy's that yeah. I love. They're so comfortable, but I, I same problem. I love them. I want to wear them all the time. And then I just mm-hmm. don't, because I don't want to mess them up. I know. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'd be so sad. Um, what about you? So I am loving my milk frother, uh, which I'll put into the uh, show notes when I post this, but, um, I feel like I'm finally in 2019 because I can froth my own milk. Everyone's been yeah. doing this with their Nespresso machine forever. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm just really loving it because I we I still go down to the Starbucks and the coffee shop down the street or down mm-hmm. the stairs from us. But it's just nice to be able in the middle of the day when 3.30 hits and like yeah. I've got to push through that last like 90 minutes of work day and I can make a little like tea latte and not yeah. have to like, I can control what it tastes like and make it as hot as I want. And it's just the great, I just feel so much agency in my kitchen again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. We, I mean, well, yeah, we had a hand frother for a while and then we have the Keurig latte maker and it just, it makes such a difference. It's such a difference. Yeah. I have the little, um, I think it's Breville and mm-hmm. it's just this little, like little kettle thing and it just makes tea and I, oh, I just love it. Yeah. I like that. No. Welcome to 2019. Um, when, yeah, when everyone, <laughs> thank, first you, thank got you. It. Thank you for everybody for uh, welcoming to me to this modern age. I'm so happy yeah. to be here. <laughs> me and my air fryer will be here for days. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, and that brings us to the end, Danielle. This was so much fun. It's no, always- this was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you can go at you can follow us on all our socials on Fresh at Fresh Fiction. You can also follow Danielle at at D Jackson Books, and then you can get me at Real Vixen. You can also email us directly at podcast at freshfiction.com. And also, guys, don't forget to please subscribe, follow, rate, review us on all of your favorite podcast apps. It really helps us. We're so excited to have you listening to us. 